Hi everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of 42 to Doomsday. I'm Mark. And I'm Rob. And today we're going out of our comfort zone a bit and talk about these first series. No, not the old one, the new one. BBC have launched their TV schedules for the 50th anniversary. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, well, my thoughts were much the same as when I saw Miley Cyrus uh, twerking <laughs> it up on uh, the MTV Awards not so long ago. It sounded like a good idea at the time, but the grim reality before our eyes was something completely different. No, look, it's easy to uh, it's easy to uh, have a go at the BBC for a screwing up the announcement by letting it drop uh, before it was meant to. And uh, and then the actual content, uh, well, to me anyway, just looking at this list here, seems remarkably thin. I know the BBC have uh, have actually, well, it seems like they've shot themselves in the foot a little bit by letting um, many months go by and not saying anything. There's been a bit of a void into which fandom has uh, let its opinions fall. Um, so until the BBC actually made its announcement, there was a, a deal of discontent amongst fandom, uh, online fandom anyway. Uh, and that was always going to, I suppose, evaporate once the BBC actually came through with the goods. Now, looking at the goods, I mean, obviously, the key thing is an announcement about, you know, the, the, the 50th anniversary episode itself, the day of the Doctor. Uh, not, you know, an overly thrilling title in my little opinion. It, but It could um, have been worse, Rob. It could have been the time of the Doctor. And we all know how well stories with the uh, title Time end up. Well, don't make me flashback, Mark, all right? Don't make me flashback. <laughs> well, I mean, looking at its tenant, its Smith, and its Hurt, I mean, it, it's not the three Doctors or the five Doctors or even the two Doctors. It appears to be the <laughs> 2.5 Doctors, to be frank. I'm not quite, quite sure how... I mean, it'll be interesting how Hurt is, uh, is shoehorned into it or what part he plays. I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk about Paul McGann featuring in a mini-sode... Uh, maybe released online uh, that uh, you know sort of is, is a link between uh, you know well, a regeneration link uh, you know McGann falls over and, and Hurt uh, st- stands up so I mean that will be interesting so I mean we've got a little bit of information there it's a, it's a you know as the BBC uh, trumpets it's a feature length 75 minute adventure in, in my book uh, feature length movie uh, productions are usually at least 90 minutes uh, at least you know J&T managed to get 90 minutes on about 6 bob uh, so that's interesting. 75 minutes, I mean, I'm, with with ads for the American or the North American market, that'll get it out to about 90 or even 100 minutes. So that's good for them. But uh, I suppose it's a bit of information. And the poster, the poster looked nice, if you like that sort of thing. Yeah, a lot of people have been looking at the poster and, of course, uh, posting on forums about uh, what they think the plot is. So there's about 40 or 50 pages already. Why can't a poster just be a poster? Oh, people have got to read stuff into it. But, you know, let's let it go, fandom. <laughs> Just enjoy it for the visual, you know, beauty of it. You know, someone has spent literally minutes slaving over Photoshop to get that right. I'm still surprised they haven't released any footage. They, I mean, their uh, original British drama footage for the autumn winter seasons has gone out, and there's nothing in there. It's like they're holding on to every scrap of uh, content about the special to their dear chest. Um, I would have just put in a quick shot of Matt, quick shot of David. 
quick shot of John Hurt as a funky doctor. It's something to show for it because at the moment, just got as you said, just a poster. And to be honest, apart from the um, docudrama, there's nothing really much there that interests me. Well, looking down that list, there's a great deal of ephemera there. I mean, I mean stuff like BBC Two. There's this character, Professor Brian Cox, is going to use uh, you know the so-called science behind Doctor Who as a bit of a kickstart to looking at uh, scientific discoveries. I mean, I don't actually know why you need Doctor Who to you know to do that sort of thing. I'm sure you can have a really decent and thought-provoking conversation about. Uh, about you know science, about astronomy, about time travel or quantum physics, etc., etc., without piggybacking on a a TV show for goodness sake. It, it it just seems like a lot of, as I said before, ephemera. I mean, this sort of thing will be it'll be on TV for its duration and then it'll be gone. No one will ever look back fondly about Brian Cox's you know uh, lecture or you know chit chat with celebrity guests and members of the public. I mean, let's do it. Celebrity guests and members of the public on a journey into the wonderful universe of the Doctor. I mean, what does that actually mean? What does it really mean? I, I mean, it's just strange. And then there's stuff like uh, what we got here: the Culture Show presents me, you, and Doctor Who. Well, congratulations on prep level poetry there for starters. <laughs> me, you, and Doctor Who. Um, we all go. And then they talk about it's the, what are the most important, one of the most important cultural artifacts of modern Britain. Well, that just tells you what's wrong with modern Britain when a TV show. Look, I enjoy the show. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not going to be one of those people who are complete who will be tagged as a complete whinger and whiner. But you know a cultural artifact so the hour-long documentary on time lord rock is not going to interest you no i think i go look at my plants grow personally i no, there's i mean there's nothing there that really grabs me i know you get the usual puff puffery from the, the bbc marketing department and good on them i mean it keeps them out of the dole queue for starters <laughs> but there's there's just very little there that really means anything to me and I mean look you know they might get a decent audience there might be several million people who are happy to watch BBC BBC 2 uh, and and watch that sort of thing but um, it just seems like desperately casting around for something to connect to you know the 50th anniversary of the show I mean you would have thought that the main focus would have been on uh, the the, the production itself the 50th anniversary episode and Mark Gattis's um, docudrama docudrama which at the moment I'm I think it says a lot about me, really. I'm looking more, f- looking forward more to the docudrama. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, let's let's just say it out now, uh, up front and loud, that as a docudrama, I don't think it's going to be particularly faithful to the history of the show. I mean, things are going to be ramped up and 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 cut and and moved around to suit the narrative of the story they're trying to tell. I don't know that we're going to have. Oh, well, I'm sure it'll be touched on, but Hartnell's. Uh, let's just say eccentricities with regards to certain minority groups that that will be interesting to watch I th- I'm looking forward to that more at the moment than I am to the, the, the Day of the Doctor which uh... again I'm just surprised they haven't released any trailer it just doesn't to me doesn't make sense from a marketing perspective you release a poster put a bit of content out there to really get people excited and ramp it up that's true but where are we now we're in it's mid-September it'll be on in the, well, nine weeks time months, nine, nine weeks nine weeks time so I suppose um, there are those who know TV better than certainly I do and how to market it and it may be that in a few weeks um, the teaser trailer will commence I mean commence and I mean at the moment we're in a bit of a holding pattern and people you know 
uh, grumbling about the lack of uh, more or less the lack of any sort of uh, push to, to, to get public interest but I think once that happens there's enough of a built in audience that uh, they'll, they'll jump on board but um, it, it is a little bit disappointing I, I'm not su- suggesting that the BBC is treating this as an afterthought because clearly uh, given the, the large number of things that they're spouting and touting in this uh, in this uh, announcement um, they are they are keen to spread the spread the word and, and spread the love around to their various uh, stations and productions but you know the stuff on Blue Peter, CBBC, BBC Three. Uh, you know a number of uh, things. What have we got here? A Doctor Who Monsters and Villains Weekend, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and the usual puffery. We've got Danny Cohen, the director of BBC Television, says Doctor Who is a titan of British television, and I'm incredibly proud to have it on the BBC. Well, it's hardly likely to go to ITV now, is it? Uh, it's an astonishing achievement for a drama to reach its fiftieth year. Don't forget, Danny, that one of your predecessors cut it down in 1989. So really, it's only 34-ish years. Uh, but yeah, and there's a bit on radio. That'll be interesting. I, mean, I suppose there'll be you know documentaries. I tend to prefer documentaries on the radio. They tend to be more interesting than sort of the visual uh, fluffery that we get. But I mean, it is. I, I personally, I'm, I'm, I'm underwhelmed as I've rabbited on for the last five minutes. Well, there's your thing about Time Lord Rock. Trock. Trock off. What in God's name <laughs> is that? Oh, here we go. Radio 1 will look at the genre of music inspired by the Doctor and his journeys through space and time with a 60-minute documentary. What in God's name is that? I have no idea. Can we just have Doctor in Distress on high repeat for thir- for 60 minutes? 2013 anniversary remix. Heard it here first. Anne Levine. Get it out, son. So the main topic we're talking about today is the first series, the 2005 Eccleston series. What, what, were you, what was your reaction when you heard that the series was coming back? Well, I was at work that day stealing uh, <laughs> my employer's internet time instead of actually doing work. Shareholders beware. And um, I, I believe I jumped onto Outpost Gallifrey while my manager had walked away from the desk that we shared. And uh, there, was a, there was a posting there that um, the BBC had announced that the TV series was coming back and Russell T Davies would, would be helming it. I mean, I'd always harboured the hope that the TV show would come back uh, you know during the 90s I mean during the 90s we obviously had you know uh, the, uh, the, the the VHS and the DVD literally the DVD releases to keep us uh, happy and of course you know the Virgin books and la- later on the BBC books so. and Big Finish as well and Big Finish after that and uh, there was you know th- and that was that was very good that was entertaining you know but it, it obviously wasn't the same as the TV program so I'd I'd, I'd in my romantic what remains of the the remnants of the romance in my heart I'd hope that one day the TV show would come back without really sort of thinking deep and long as to why it should come back what what was it about the TV show other than you know a sort of a, a, a youthful longing for it to come back that made it deserve to come back and um, so anyway so when it, when it did come back I was quite uh, I was quite pleased Interested to see how it would all uh, unfurl uh, on the TV screen, and uh, you know, I was a, I, I was a keen and avid uh, follower of uh, any new tidbit of news that would come out. What about you? Uh, when I heard the news, it was a slightly more exotic locale than uh, what you were. I was actually walking along Manly Beach up in uh, New South Wales in Sydney. Mobile rang, a friend of mine rang me up, sort of hyperventilating. I thought he was in hospital, or had some sort of medical condition. But he said, no, uh, the series is coming back. Couldn't believe it. I was happy. I was actually really happy about 
A, it was coming back, and B, Russell T. Davis. Had you seen any of his work beforehand? To the best of my knowledge, no. I think I was aware of who he was. I, 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 I knew of the stir that the second coming had caused. Um, but uh, in terms of specifics of his career, no, I, I didn't know. But, I mean, it didn't take long to work out uh, who he was and, and what he'd done. Mm. Uh, and he did, he, at that stage, um, he did have an impressive back catalogue of stuff. Mm. Uh, you know, stuff like The Second Coming. I, I, you know, Queer as Folk obviously put his stamp, um, you know, put him before the public in terms of the, the, the quality of what he was doing and the, and the subject matter as well. Uh, so it was... Um, it just it was a not an interesting choice, but it was a man whose whose moment uh, had well and truly arrived, and uh, he was at the top of a you know a creative creative spurt of work that had lasted for a number of years. So it seemed the I mean the 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 thing that Phantom had talked about during the nineties was if the show was ever to come back, um, the fans would have to keep their hands right off it. That you could have no fans involved in the production, uh, and but as it turned out, uh, Phantom in part inspired by the show had gone into TV had gone into writing people like Cornell people like Gaddis people like Russell T Davies and had moved uh, moved into TV production I mean those three uh, were you know acting or writing scripts or, or producing as Russell T Davies was doing in the late 90s so as it turned out fans did take over the show but it was fans who had um, got a good grounding in television Knew how to knew knew how television worked. Knew what worked on television, and uh, once they they'd come into their own, you know, they matured as writers and producers and actors, etc., etc. They were the ones who brought, well, Russell T Davies was the one who brought it back. So in the end, it was a fan uh, who knew the television ropes, who who helped bring the TV show back to uh, television. And more importantly, he actually wanted to do it. Well, absolutely. I mean, he had pitched for it in the late nineties, uh, based on what I've read. Mm. Uh, and his pitch then was uh, remarkably similar to uh, the pitch that he, the successful pitch that he made um, to the BBC. I think it was in two thousand and three. Yeah, I think it was two thousand about two thousand three. Yeah. Um, so it was to strip the mythology of the show right back, uh, have the show more grounded on Earth. Um, you know, make the Doctor a more joyful, fun, energetic figure. And have a, have a companion who was you know recognisably you know recognisable to the viewers, and uh, we certainly got that uh, with um, with the first series at least. I suppose for me, I knew the BBC were actually serious about this when they cast uh, Eccleston in the role. It just brought so much gravitas to the whole thing because let's be honest, it become a slight joke. I mean, some of the when the show was announced, there were there were, there were rumours and silly stories in the press about. You know the UK magician Paul Daniels being touted for the role. That's how I suppose its reputation within the press in the UK had uh, had sunk. But when uh, Eccleston was announced and uh, that he had been cast, all of a sudden there was a big 360. Yeah, well, I mean uh, that that signalled, I think, to the media that the BBC was taking this seriously. Uh, and uh, I mean, we all know Eccleston's pedigree. I mean, I, I he first came to my notice when I saw him. Um, on Cracker mm. in the uh, in the mid to late nineties, uh, which is a fantastic series. If anyone's never watched it, uh, I strongly recommend that you do go out and get it. Uh, and his turn as the uh, police, I suppose he was a police inspector who was uh, well a memorable uh, for those who haven't seen it, a memorable departing scene. Um, yeah, no, he clearly. I mean, a very intense, very driven, very focused actor, um, and I think fandom was 
almost unanimous in its praise of the choice the sort of unanimity that we've only recently seen with uh, Peter Capaldi being cast uh, I think that fandom as you said well I mean the general public's view of the show was of a kids show that had fallen you know from favour and was now a little more than a a little more than a joke and then you turn around and you get one of the premier actors uh, in Britain uh, and you cast him you, you, you're basically you know saying to the world we're going to take this seriously and you had better as well mm. we mean business with this so I mean in, in terms of uh, pure acting great choice and in terms of publicity and getting the show on the uh, on the map again and, and uh, inspired casting so when the series did come back what were your thoughts well um, like a lot of people um, I was able to see it before it was actually broadcast in the UK uh, everyone knows that a, a, a very ex-employee of a, a third party in Canada foolishly leaked it onto the internet and uh, we, I had uh, a mutual friend who was able to obtain it so you know I mean there's no, no surprise that we all sat down and watched it um, but in terms of the uh, it, was, it was you know it was, uh, the show was back and it, 16 years had passed and in a sense it was watching it in a modern setting you know watching it as a, a new broadcast it was a bit of a shock actually but then you sort of because it was all it was modern storytelling it was you know 40 minute episodes it was it was bright it was fast paced it was there was very little fat in the in the narrative in the storytelling and scenes would zip by and it was you know it, it certainly left an impression um but in terms of what I thought, I thought it. I thought the the, the start. I thought Rose, while a good effort, was a bit shaky. I think there was. I think there was a bit of uh, a bit too much children's television in there. I, I mean, you know, the much lamented Mickey and the burping uh, and the burping uh, rubbish and bin. the pizza scene in the re- in that restaurant as well. Yeah, yeah. that was that. I, I mean, I saw Rose again over the weekend, and that was pretty bad pretty pretty bad pretty lamentable mm. pretty uh, just uh, just embarrassing a little bit uh, and you i mean you, you you rtd has created rose as the you know the audience identification figure and you know there's obviously something special about rose because the doctor has effectively you know chosen her to be his companion to someone for, for him to, to travel through you know time and space with so there's something about her that's that marks her out as being you know above the ordinary ordinary run of everyone else and yet she's sitting there with, you know, clearly a fake of her boyfriend just gibbering and she's, 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 not, she's not picking up on this. I mean, it, it just seemed a little bit, a little bit uh, subpar. But um, the, rest of the, the, rest of, the rest of the episode, as I said, was good. I had problems with Eccleston's portrayal. As I understand it, this wasn't the first episode recorded. I think it was the Aliens of London. Yeah, it was, well, yeah, it was World War Three and Aliens of London. And World War Three. Yeah. Uh, and then they have obviously come back to Rose at a, in a, later in the recording block or in a new recording block. But I, I had, I had personally I had problems with his portrayal. I thought there was a bit too his portrayal was a bit too glib, a bit too you know off the cuff. You know he was sort of a bit too smiley and grinning and and uh, and, and 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 offhand. I, I mean I didn't want a, an overly serious, full of gravitas portrayal, but it just it was as if Eccleston was trying to act. To a to an audience comprised of children, when that wasn't the case, I don't think. Well, clearly the eleven million people who watched it couldn't have all been kids. 
And I know he he has since said that he took a great deal of delight from portraying someone who kids could look up to or who kids could enjoy. But for me, as a at that stage, I was early thirties. I didn't. I wasn't a hundred percent enamoured with his portrayal at that point. Later on, as the series progressed, and you sort of got a better handle on his portrayal of the Doctor, someone who was very badly damaged by what had happened in the Time War, um, I, uh, I I think I gained a greater appreciation of where where they were sort of trying to move the arc of the you know the Doctor's journey from Rose to the Parting of the Ways. Like you, I don't go back and look at the new series that much but you know, in preparation for this I did I watched uh, Dalek The Long Game while doing some mining it's all happening at my the, place <laughs> the, the only way to watch The Long Game and then Father's Day and Father's Day to me it wasn't a very good Doctor Who story it was a very good drama story mm. and Eccleston in it was I was absolutely blown away because I hadn't seen it for so long and I'd forgotten how good he was he was fantastic in that role The Battle Scar Time Lord and just you know we go on about the gravitas he brought to it he did the only thing it didn't work for me is his costume mm. what Hurt is wearing now is probably would have suited him better sort of that mixture of old and new I think just going back to the costume I think a lot of what uh, RTD and the BBC were trying to do was re-establish the series in the eyes of the viewers as being you know a, something that you wouldn't laugh at I mean it, I, you know, the old, the, the classic series with the, 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 the clothes that the lead actors wore, I mean, I, you know, I enjoy those. I find them evocative and, and interesting and visually interesting. But, I mean, if in 2005, if, if, um, if Eccleston had turned up in a frock coat or, a, you know, a frilly velveteen uh, coat or jacket, he'd have been laughed out of court, basically, I think. It's, um, imagine it would be the same reaction in 2005 that Colin Baker received unfortunately in 1980 in 1984 um, so I, and, you, and you can see that sort of grounding the series more in modern Britain uh, than the the classic series was I mean it's just the elements I mean you know there's there's Rose and her sort of soap opera-ish family background and and, uh, and there's um, you know the, the constant returning to earth um, modern day earth effectively for, for, for a large chunk of it and, and sort of more modern day concerns you know Relationships, failing relationships, a mother-daughter relationship that sort of uh, was a bit more was a bit offhand at the start, but then sort of developed into something more deeper and more personal. Um, a daughter sort of grieving for a missing father. I mean, stuff that you wouldn't generally see in the classic series, you saw come front and center, which I think reflected a lot of Russell T Davies' concerns and and his interests in writing. I mean, a lot of his uh, background in, in writing is is more contemporary drama, contemporary children's drama, and contemporary sort of adults drama. Uh, and I think you saw a lot of that in, in at least the first series anyway. In Father's Day, the whole focus is on Rose. Purely, like, even Moffat's come out recently and said that for the first two series, it was the Rose show, in a sense. And another thing I noticed about Father's Day, most of that first series, is how unobtrusive the music is. Murray Gold. Go back and listen to yourself, Murray it Gold. It works really well, because it's just, un- you know, you don't have to have your 5.1 surround sound system going just to hear the vocal because it was all mixed really really well and the music wasn't it's thrashing around Kef McCulloch style I just wanted to come back to Rose as you said um, looking back over the first two years uh, it was very much yeah, the, the the Rose show and you know you saw a lot of it from I mean the the very the opening scene 
was you know of rose was rose getting up and getting getting ready to go to work you didn't really see the doctor until well, five or six minutes into that first episode mm. and um, i mean you can understand in a sense why russell t davies would focus on rose i mean in terms of character development uh, a companion can change you can get uh, growth and change in a in a companion whereas the doctor essentially other than sort of you know at the margins he he he's he's a one he's an iconic character he's an iconic hero and iconic heroes effectively don't change they at the edges yes they'll have their own eccentricities but at core the doctor is you know a hero and he's on a hero's journey and he's not going to change but you know a companion like rose a companion like uh you know uh, as, as portrayed by Catherine Tate they're capable of growth and change mm-hmm. And that's why I think um, it's more interesting for a writer to be able to do that, um, to be able to, to, to depict that change in a character. And that's why I think you sort of see the first couple of years uh, as, as, as Rose's arc. And of course, you know, it culminates in effectively a tragedy, a tragedy at the end of Doomsday where she's, she's separated from the Doctor. I mean, this is the man who's come into her life and, and whisked her away and shown her a universe of, you know, of delights. Whereas, you know, five minutes before that, she was a, a shop girl at a clothes shop I could, I could think of nothing more horrifying than spending you know most of my adult life working in retail no offence to anyone who does work retail it's a very fulfilling life but my god it's dull and take it from someone who's done it yes you were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar I look good in a skirt, by the way, as well. I bet so. you do, yeah. Thank you. The main thing... <laughs> that's right. So we briefly touched on some of the stories. Uh, what doesn't work in that series? A lot of, a lot of um, people say that uh, Aliens of London and World War III doesn't work. But it depends on who you ask. I mean, if you were to ask you know, an eight- or nine-year-old boy about Aliens of London, he would say... He would be absolutely enraptured, I think. I mean, it basically starts off with a with an alien <laughs> ship crashing through Big Ben and then pl- plunging into the Thames. I mean, which what looks could, fantastic. Which looks fantastic. What it could does. be what could be more entertaining for an eight or nine year old boy than that? Than that. And um, and uh, look, I mean, I'm not a big fan of those two episodes personally, but that's coming from the perspective of you know a middle-aged man I mean it, it has none of the sort of drama or, 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 or uh, entertainment that I find you know enjoyable but from the younger audience and remember I mean the, the BBC tries to with, with shows like this tries to pitch it to as broad an audience as possible um, you know the, the, the coveted family audience so I think I mean if this turned a number of you know kids who'd never seen the show into fans well fantastic it's not I don't like it much and the farting aliens are a definite low point down there with Mickey in his bin. But um, it, it has colour and movement and excitement and explosions at the end. And, you know, the Doctor doing exciting things, chasing space pigs. Space pigs, for goodness sake. <laughs> Pork, porkers from space. Um, and that was his first scene. That was Eccleston's first scene. Was, you, could almost, you can almost visualise him writing his resignation letter. <laughs> Uh, that look on his face was a little bit his piece of him dying inside <laughs> he's going where's my notepad where's my agent I want to throttle him dear Russell and Jane no but I mean that. I mean, yeah it's it, it's not I find the first few episodes of say four or five episodes of the series the first series 
it, it sort of meanders along. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, there's Rose introduces all the main elements to the show. And then we go, we sh- we demonstrate to the audience uh, the show can travel is, is a time travel show. So off we go to the year five billion and a bit, see the end of the world, and then the, the third episode is let's go back to 1869 London, uh, sorry Cardiff, so we can go, it, it, you know, we, we we can examine the past as well, and then it's off to uh, to, to see different things. I don't, th- I mean, I don't think the show really the series really kickstarts effectively for me even though i enjoy the unquiet dead until dalek where that first 10 or 15 minutes is some of the most powerful doctor who we've seen since the show came back i mean eccleston really lets rip in that scene in the semi-darkness with the dalek he dolls it up to to number 11 well it, 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 it he really it just seems even now it sends chills through you just to mm. there's the you really get a sense of what RTD was trying to do with the Doctor there as you said the battle scarred Time Lord in those in those few brief scenes you get a sense of how devastating the Time War was for the Doctor and a hint of the choices that he had to make to, to try and end it or to end it the devastating choices and those 15 you know 10 or 15 minutes are sublime in my opinion sublime and then I, and then from there I think the show I think the series really kicks off and as you say there's Father's Day um, and uh, and Stephen Moffat's uh, two-parter in the middle of the season and and then the show really sort of takes off in the last couple of episodes I quite like Young Quiet Dead and End of the World I watched those recently as well and um, I don't look at the new series as much as a fan fan uber fan like I do with a classic I just watch it now more as a casual viewer and I I think I enjoyed it more watching it as a casual viewer like Father's Day today as opposed to a die and a hard classic series fan and there's nothing wrong with that Uh, I think it works quite effectively as a drama series but is it true Doctor Who in my eyes probably not look I tend to agree there are are any number of TV shows as I've said in previous podcasts that I enjoy far more than the new series which is not to devalue the new series it just sort of just it just basically says that my TV viewing tastes uh, are, are different to what uh, Doctor Who is currently at at the moment I mean I there's any number of American drama shows that I watch that I far prefer than Doctor Who but I keep on coming back to the show uh, to watch I mean it, it, it's partly habit it's partly sort of you know hanging on to the past when I, you know as a, as a younger person but it's not um it's not if if I wasn't a fan of the show I probably probably wouldn't watch it I probably wouldn't watch it but um and 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 watching the the few episodes that I did in preparation for this podcast over the weekend um rose uh, weak personally weak and the unquiet dead um you know good solid I reckon it could have done with an extra 15 15 minutes um because it's very tight from 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 just looking at it, it's very tightly told, uh, but I think it could have done uh, with an extra ten or fifteen minutes. I can't even remember the later parts of the series. Apart from me, Boomtown, I can't really. Apart from that restaurant scene, I really can't remember much about it. Yeah, can you, can you remember anything about it? I remember, you know, the um, you know, obviously parting of the ways. The ending was very uh, the, the sort of the latter half of that episode was very powerful as well, where the Doctor's hologram sort of basically says goodbye to Rose. Yeah, uh, that that's I mean, watching that again still leaves a bit of a lump in my throat anyway. But I'm a softie, uh, and then of course you know, uh, Eccleston's uh, you know his his last line to Rose, uh, and I've been fantastic too to paraphrase. It was uh, it was just a joy to watch, and then he's he's gone. He's gone. Uh, he's gone. I know. It's... I know. He's gone. 
Would he have worked though in, a, in in series two? I don't think he. I can't see him doing school reunion. School reunion worked because Tennant played it. He knew the importance of the Sarah Jane character to the Doctor and I suppose to the fans as well. And he, he pitched his performance that way. I don't see if Eccleston had stayed on and he did that story, the pitch of it wouldn't have been as as good. Yeah, but look, I, I, I can I can see where you're coming from with that. But I mean, anyone who can make chasing a space pig down a corridor work, more or less, can can make school reunion work. That's a bit of a joke, of course. Um, yeah, but I mean, if Eccleston had stayed on, then, then the series writers would have worked around that. They would have, you know, I mean, uh, Eccleston, I think, is a sufficiently good actor to be able to make that sort of thing work, even if he sort of personally has no real investment in the show's history like Tennant does. I mean, I wonder what a second series with Eccleston would have looked like, though. I couldn't see him doing... Um the opening scenes of Love and Monsters going up and down that corridor Scooby-Doo style, do you? Yeah, but there's... <laughs> oh. Yeah, but there's some there's some elements of his portrayal in the first series, as I said before, was just very glib and very jokey and very light that, I mean, you know, he, he may have been able to pull that off. But I suppose you're right. I mean, he did the job, really, that that was given to him. He The, the, the show came back came back with a great impact with 11 million viewers and uh, he, g- he gave the, he, he gave the show a renewed sense of credibility so I mean staying an extra year did, I mean the show probably didn't need him to stay an extra year but if he had I think they would have tailored the scripts to, 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 to suit his strengths and I mean he would have been able to see Rose's story arc to its completion Rose became quite smug with Tennant oh no I, I, they, were, they were and I think it was deliberately cast like that because I mean it was leading up to we, we, we think we're the greatest duo in the universe we have these fantastic adventures that no one else can have mm. and look this is going to go on forever and hang on I'm suddenly on the other side of a dimensional barrier and I'll never see my you know true love ever again until season 4 well yes <laughs> we, we can rewrite everything Eccleston's departure, though, um, it's still the subject to this day of rumour and innuendo. Have you read the latest About Time series book, the uh, number seven? Um, I know, well, I now know that it's ours. So I'll be going to an online retailer shortly. Exactly, one that pays tax, hopefully. Mm. Um, there's a, there's an essay in there called, uh, Was He Pushed or what, Did He Fall? And it goes through four or five different uh, hypotheses on why he... Left, you know, he didn't like way things were being run. I wasn't overly surprised that he wasn't coming back for the fiftieth. I was disappointed he wasn't, but I wasn't overly surprised. Having said that, we don't know what's being filmed indoors, do we yet? No, we don't. I mean, it would would have been lovely for him to come back. I mean, but being realistic and given given the the sense of the time when he announced his, you know, well, when the BB. Was it he who, who announced? No, it was the BBC who basically stuffed up and, and sort of said he was out the door. Yeah, it got, it got leaked to the press. That's yes. right. It got leaked to the press first. And then Outpost Gallifrey went to meltdown. And mm. then the BBC issued a statement which he didn't authorise. It was it, The issue was very badly handled. And I tend to think that Eccleston was very badly handled and treated in, in that aspect. 
Um, he, so I can understand from that perspective him not wanting to come back, even though you know apparently he met with Moffat and they discussed the storyline. Whether that's true or whether that's just a bit of politics, your PR, I'm not entirely sure. Either way, I'm you know I'm not going to cast any aspersions on anyone. You do what you want. Those individuals can do what they want. Uh, it would have been nice for him to come back, but I can understand that he wouldn't. Uh, I don't think he's the sort of actor who looks who whoever looks back. It's always mm. the next project. It's always the next opportunity. It's always the next performance. Um, but yeah, it would be nice just just because you know an anniversary like this only comes around once in every ten years, effectively. <laughs> uh, so he might be back in ten years' time. Um, but uh, as a to all those fans, to all those fans who whose faith in the series was renewed during that first year and all those fans all those people who were just simply television viewers who became fans during that first uh, first year it would have been nice for you know Christopher Eccleston to come back and sort of even if for a couple of minutes perhaps and as, mm. a, as a, a tip of the hat to the fans and they say you know thank you for your support here I am enjoy but not to be and fair enough we all the caravan moves on and so do we so was it worth bringing the show back Oh well, the BBC and its bean counters would say yes. They'd be screaming that from the rooftops, of course. I mean, it's look. It's clearly got an audience. It's clearly got an audience. Again, eleven million people tuned in, and a lot of that was to do with the marketing beforehand. But a lot of them stayed around. A lot of them stayed on. The audience appreciation figures indicate that those who watch love it, and that's just not the thirty thousand fans who watch it. That's the, you know, millions upon millions upon millions. Of normal people. Of just average people in the community mm. who, who want to sit down with their sons or their daughters or their wives or their partners uh, and, and, and watch, you know, 40, 40 to 45 minutes of just pure entertainment. Mm. And the show, there was clearly a place for the show and there clearly continues to be a place for the show. To me, yes, I'm really glad I brought it back because... It's brought a whole new generation to the show. I don't know whether you saw the latest proms, the Doctor Who proms, was watching that. And just watching the kids' eyes light up when they see a Jadoon or a Cyberman stomp around, and even the comedy Santaran, you know, gets a bit of a reaction. Their reaction is exactly the same reaction I had when I heard the uh, classic music suite they did in there. I was, you know, I was absolutely uh, stoked with it. I was relieved as well they didn't uh, orchestrate any parts of uh, Ark of Infinity music. <laughs> There's just the reactions of seeing kids and who have embraced the show and they enjoy it, and to me that, that's, that's that's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, those those yeah, those kids now were us thirty years ago. Exactly, but they weren't getting bullied in the playground for liking no. a show like that. Very likely, they're doing the bullying now. Exactly. So yes, I mean, there's a the, the Doctor Who in its modern incarnation. I think has a lot to offer. Uh, and it continues to, to to have a lot to offer. And uh, look, more power to those young kids who who have grown up with it since it came back in two thousand and five. Um, Russell T Davies and the production team behind him and the BBC. I mean, you you got to take your hat off to them. It was a bit of a risk. I mean, the the brand, the terrible word, the brand was tainted. There was a lot of love for it amongst you know certain people, but amongst the general viewing population, there was a sort of disdain. It was either disdain or sort of shrug your shoulders and go, oh, I remember that show from the 80s when I was, you know... When I was 70s, young. yeah, exactly. 70s. Yeah. But they, 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 they brought it back. They brought it roaring back. 
and uh, you know it's it's a part of the modern British television establishment really mm. and it appears to be gaining a greater market share around the world or gra- greater share of interest around the world mm. you I mean you watch when the 50th anniversary goes out the one number one and this is the sign of the times where you know the, the, the way to determine the popularity of something is, something is how it trends on Twitter but it'll be the number one trending item on Twitter whilst it's being broadcast around the world you watch and that's just and that can all be traced back to Russell T Davies getting up in front of the BBC and saying here's my proposal this is why you should bring the show back We've been receiving some tweets, Rob, from listeners about the podcast, and uh, thank you for um, your, your appreciate your kind comments and feedback. We have uh, had some tweets from Noel Cunningham in London. Hello, Noel. Hello, Noel. Uh, he sent us some questions. Which uh, have you got a copy of them? They're going to answer rapid fire. The, the the rattling. This is actually old-fashioned paper, people. You can still read things off paper. Listen to this. Okay, are you ready? Go. Okay, does Resurrection of the Daleks work better as a two-parter or a four-parter? Well, my answer to that is, does Resurrection of the Daleks actually work at all? (laughs) I think it works better as a four-parter, thank you, Rob. Uh, The episode one, I remember uh, when it was shown on Australia here, it had the the scene finished with the words, Release Davros. That's still seared in my memory. Seared. Seared. Seared is a strong word, Mark. It is. That's, uh, I, I think it's okay. Okay. Uh, should more of the doctors wear hats? Well, if the doctor wants to be sun smart, um, I think the doctor should wear more hats. Maybe two at a time. I tell you what, if Matt Smith wears a fez in the in the Christmas special, it's going to be a balancing act. He's got a wig on and a fez. Well, effectively, he is wearing headgear with that wig. <laughs> that wig is headwear. Yeah, he can't. He won't be running in the Christmas special. He'd be running. He'd be walking awkwardly. Actually, looking at some of the very uh, the, the the long the, the, the long shots of, of him by fan uh, fan stalkers, uh, the the hair the hair piece appears to be a a phenomenal piece of engineering by uh, the BBC. Uh, there's some great work going on there going on there, and uh, all kudos to uh, the hair piece wrangler for keeping yes. that toupee um, well fed and watered. Yes, obviously, unlike Paul McGann's. <laughs> <laughs> that is a shocking. I was just looking at. Um, what was I looking at? I was looking at the TV movie uh, at JB. And, oh yeah. And uh, there's that. Po- he has that pose where his arms are crossed, uh, crossed over his chest. Yes. And that, it's very hammer horror, but it's very that hair. That hair is doing things that no hair should do. <laughs> and at the end of the film, the scene in the rain, it just looks like it's just like he's got a mop. And it's all soaking over his face. It looks had terrible. they not heard of umbrellas? Could you no. not stick an umbrella out of shot? I mean, it does. It does droplets. Rain drops keep falling on my head. They should have. They should have ended the, the episode with that. Rain drops I keep think, falling on my head. I think the episode had a lot more more problems than the than a wet wig. But anyway, was Tom kicked out by JNT or did he go of his own accord? Ooh. Uh, ooh, controversial. Noel, mm. you've been nurturing that for a long time, haven't you, son? Controver- well, you know, I think uh, I think Tom Baker saw the writing on the wall early on and uh, J&T wanted to make his own mark 
be his own man and the only way to do that was to cast your own leading man so was he sacked I would be very very wary of saying anything like that Uh, but you know I don't think Tom Baker fought it too hard after seven years he gave it a really good shake and I don't think he fought it too hard and he's probably glad to go didn't Tom say at a convention once he said I was pushed by the master and he looked over towards JNT do you ever hear that story? No. Yeah, no, I remember hearing that story. But by that stage, uh, Tom and John uh, were, were great friends. So, um, according to the JNT bio that we talked about last episode, uh, they were great friends. They were a rapprochement, and uh, and uh, I'm I'm sure that they they love throwing those little digs in just for the amusement of the fans and themselves. But when you think about it, when you think about it, Hartnell left when he didn't want to go. Troughton definitely wanted to go. Pertwee sort of had to be controlled at the door. Baker, we think the same. Davison went. He went at the time that he wanted to go, sort of. Baker clearly had the trap door, <laughs> you know, open from beneath his feet. Sorry, we shouldn't be laughing. And McCoy's contract wasn't renewed, and McGann, the, the, the no series eventuated at all. Not that there ever was going to be any realistic prospect of a series. Uh, Eccle, there's a bit of controversy about Eccleston going. Tennant probably stayed one year too long and even now there's a bit of uh, fun and games about uh, Matt Smith leaving so yeah um, yeah but I think that's par for the course for the the TV industry young or old what's the best for a doctor Um, anyone who's older than me I feel more comfortable with yeah I agree although I think again Matt was brilliant so it depends on the actor if he can pull it off I think Matt was brilliant. I think some of the episodes around him, and increasingly so, were less than brilliant. Yeah. But, yeah. uh... That's, you know. that's another podcast. Yeah, we'll move on from that. John Cleese, would he have made a good doctor? It says here a super mad doctor. Oh, super mad doctor, I'm sorry. Yeah, super mad. That episode of Faulty Towers where he gets a branch off a tree and starts hitting his Austin 1300, I reckon he'd do the same thing with a Dalek. <laughs> Actually, I thank you for bringing that image up because I remember wetting myself almost for about five minutes watching that. That was uh, John Cleese's many things uh, as a doctor. I don't think so, but uh, it it would definitely be a different performance. A different performance. Mm. He's actually uh, voicing a character in Planes, which is just is he? Yes, he. uh, Okay. I was listening to a podcast earlier in the uh, the week interviewing John Cleese about it, and he's in uh, something called Planes. And the last one here from Noel is uh, a wish list of doctors. I keep banging on about Jeremy Brett would have been wonderful. Wouldn't he have been wonderful in Time and the Rani? <sighs> the size says it all, I think. The yes. size says it all. Uh, it, look, it's hard to come up with a wish list of doctors because until you actually have someone cast in the role, it's hard to envisage them. I mean, what about, I, I, I found it... I mean, I know Capelli's name was thrown up repeatedly before his, he was actually announced, but it, it's just a bit hard to sort of see any particular person in the role until um, they're cast and, and then you sort of your thoughts can crystallise around that so um, I, I don't really have a, a super wish list of uh, super wish list a, a wish list of, of, of actors who could be in the role I'll, 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 I'll nail my ma- colours to the mast I don't want a woman in the role not because I hate women but I just it, it, it just wouldn't work for me 50 years of the show with a male lead uh, just and then changing that I I, 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 I couldn't it, it would wash very badly with me. I'm just rubbing off Joanna Lumley off my list. You can hear it in the background. I think the ladies from Verity Podcast are actually hunting for me now. 
And it's not that, and it's not to say that no woman could play the role. It's just you know what you're used to. But then we were used to 200 years of white men leading America, and then suddenly someone who was clearly not white led Amer- is leading America, and you know we all embrace that. So mm. maybe I'm a, a 70s dinosaur. Hear me roar. If they were going to go youthful again, I would have gone for is his name Ben Wishart. He was in The Hour. Um, he was a Q in Skyfall. But having said that, I think his performance is too similar to Matt's, so maybe not. But I thought he would have been okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't keep an eye much on these youngsters. Thanks, Noel, for that. That was some, that was some great questions, actually. And uh, if actually, if anyone, uh, this is a time to plug the uh, our contact. If uh, anyone has any questions that they'd uh, like us to answer, uh, the email address is uh, 42 to doomsday at gmail.com. That's 42 doomsday at gmail.com. Uh, or you can tweet us uh, at 42 to doomsday. And we, we get, we're gaining slowly s- some followers there. And, you know, there's some erudite uh, uh, tweets being made by both of us. Uh, so yeah, definitely contact uh, to contact us on those. And uh, there's a blog, Mark. Is there a blog? There is a blog. Uh, it's hundred uh, <laughs> percent professional here, folks. <laughs> there's a blog. So it's forty two to Doomsday at WordPress. Yes, it is. I mean, I set I set it up so I should know, but clearly, yeah, I forgot. We're going to. Uh, it's a bit of a site under construction website at the moment. We're going to. Uh, Hopefully, in a, in a couple of weeks, be able to announce some improvements to it. So uh, keep a keep a watch out for that. Yes. But if you want to tweet us about uh, if you uh, went to a watching party of Enemy of the World, please uh, let us know. Perryvale is the center of the missing episodes universe. People, if you were there, please let us know. Rob, we've got a letter. A letter. A letter. We had an email um, to the uh, Gmail account, which you've mentioned before. I Ooh. hope you did. Um, from Dave K. Dave K. Hello, Dave K. Hi, Dave K. Um, would that be Davik? Davik. Is that a character? That would be a ca- that would be a character that Terry Nation would uh, create. Davik Chen. Davik Tarrant. Oh, da- yeah, Davik Chen from the Dalek Master Plan. Yes, that's it. That's uh, Mavic's brother. Yeah, <laughs> he's the one who got away at the end. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't for you pesky kids. <laughs> so, what does Dave K have to say? Uh, hi guys, really enjoying the podcast, in particular J&T edition. And here are some of my thoughts. Uh, looking back on the book and trying to find the threads that bind J&T's career, I believe it's his confidence and determination in making uni- unilateral decisions. In his more junior logistical roles, this was a massive virtue, as he's cut through the worry and stress of the job and just making decisions and get it done there's something we all see and value in middle management people that make decisions and get on with a job without needing to hold their hand when he came producer it certainly let him cut through the BBC processes and reform the look of the show although some might argue that uh, some of his decisions were wide off the mark i.e. Tom's new costume I didn't mind that it lapels with the question marks I had a problem with but not the costume mm. however over the long uh, haul of management does this way of operating come undone it's clear he cast all three of his doctors with a minimum of possible consultation, no screen test auditions. With McCoy, he went to the extent of rigging the screen test process to get his way, rather than use it to ensure he had the best option. Credit companions without consultation cast them in the same the same way in many cases and made all his production decisions the same way. This season, we're having a story in Amsterdam slash America slash Singapore. Uh, over time, this approach is un- unsustainable. Is this where his style fell over? 
Even post who, rather than take advice on ways to change and improve, he seems to have continued to just back himself home now with awful results. I agree with that, especially around the um, the rigging of the McCoy screen test. True, though I would I would take issue with the um, you know just building an episode around one idea. You know, Amsterdam, Seville, uh, America. I think sometimes you need one strong image can be useful for building uh, a Doctor Who story around. Um, and uh, so, I mean, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But um, I think I think I think we sort of give JNT a bit too much stick. Uh, for his sort of simplistic wish lists that he threw around to, to to writers, I mean, as as Eric Saywood would lament time and time again, and any any number of script editors, that there was a great deal of wastage in the scripts, and and uh, you know people would come up with any number of ideas that just never were able to be you know realised, and perhaps J and T's way in part was a, a method of, of attempting to forestall that process by giving a writer here's a strong image. Start with that and build your story around that. But you know, as for the rest of Dave K's uh, letter, I, I can only agree uh, wholeheartedly. Mm. Thanks, Dave, for that. So coming up uh, in our next podcast, uh, listeners, uh, Mark and I are going to be uh, looking at the McCoy years. Um, we're going to be uh, taking uh, two stories each, uh, watching them again, uh, in probably in my instance the first time in a number of years. Uh, and uh, and then coming back and 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 just discussing what having watched those uh, stories, what what they tell us about the McCoy era, the highs and the lows, and uh, and 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 just the takeaway takeaway from uh, that era uh, in particular. So uh, Mark, I'll uh, I'll I'll uh, I've already nominated a couple of stories that I'll be uh, getting you to watch. One good and one not so good, according to fandom. Uh, Silver Nemesis. God. Okay. Yep. And uh, and on the flip side, the curse of Fenric. Okay, right. Um, for you, I'm going to roll the randomizer, as the Memory Treats podcast says, and I'm going to give you Dalton Abandonment again. No, you're joking. I will not do that. Um, do you hate me that much? <laughs> do you hate me that much? <laughs> no, I can hear the screams from your house without Skype. Um, I'm going to give you Paradise Towers. Mm. Have you got a copy of that, Rob? Uh, I believe I do. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, and on the opposite uh, spectrum, uh, Ghostlight. Ooh, human soup. Human soup. Yes. So uh, hopefully, we've been a little bit, maybe a little bit tad harsh in the McCoy years over our uh, podcast. So we really do love the TV series, folks. Yeah, we do. We do. So we're hoping that um, by watching these, we'll get a perspective of the good and the not so good. But uh, look forward to uh, you all joining us in a couple of weeks when we discuss the McCoyers. So to close out, I've been Mark. And I've definitely been Rob. And goodbye. See you later.